We just want to welcome you again to worship tonight at Calvary. We're so glad you're here. Now, whether you're in the room or you're watching us on video, it's just so good to come together as a church family to worship God. Now, those of you who are my age or, or older probably remember a specific sporting event, and it actually took place over in Minneapolis in 1992, and it was one of the greatest endings ever to a March Madness game. And so I want you to take a look at this short clip. A quick pass to half court and call a quick timeout so they can get in better shooting range. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! So good, one of the classic buzzer beaters in the history of basketball. Now, have you ever been at a game like that before? Maybe basketball, football, hockey, whatever else, where, you know, it's a real close game. There's a lot of tension. Nobody knows who's going to pull it out at the end. And then with just a split second left, someone makes the basket or they score the touchdown or they score the goal and everybody goes crazy. Maybe they storm the court or onto the field and everybody is just overjoyed. Now, I remember one time I was at a wild game, and it was a close game all the way to the end. I think they were playing Calgary, and it came down to just a few seconds, and all of a sudden there was a breakaway. They put the goal in, and they won the game with just a couple seconds left, and everybody in the X was going crazy, and this guy next to me grabbed me in a hug, and if you know me, I'm not a huge hugger, so it was a little awkward, but it was such an incredible moment that everybody was overjoyed. But I want you to, to imagine that moment, whether it's a hockey game or whether it's that basketball game or a football game you've been at, imagine witnessing that same thing by yourself. Imagine that you are the only person in the crowd. And imagine for a moment how that experience would change. Imagine if you're the only one there to celebrate. I would venture to say it would not be as satisfying of an experience. It wouldn't be as fun as being in a crowd of thousands who are on their feet cheering. You see, I think things in life are better when we do them together, aren't they? I mean, it's better to enjoy things, to experience life's just best moments when we're with other people. And it's because God designed us that way. God designed us to be in community with each other. Now, one of the things we say around here at Calvary is that following Jesus is a growing experience. Following Jesus is a growing experience. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident, though. It doesn't happen if you're just coasting along or you figure it's going to happen by osmosis or you can inherit it from your family. Spiritual growth happens intentionally. When we do the practices that God puts before us, when we apply his word to our life. And so there are all sorts of different things that you might do to grow spiritually, but we think there are three core biblical principles, three core biblical practices that we need to be applying in our life 
if we want to grow consistently in our faith. And so last week, we started off this series by talking about the first one, which is worship. We were created by God to worship him. And if you didn't see the message last week, I'd invite you to go on our website and to watch it this week. Because an essential part of our spiritual growth is to come together as the body of Christ to worship. You know, it's a weekly practice that we all need, whether it's Thursday night or Sunday morning, coming together, singing praises to God, encouraging and motivating each other, hearing God's word proclaimed. It's all a vital part of our spiritual journey. But you see, worship isn't just something that we should do once a week for an hour. Worship is actually a lifestyle. We can carry a worshipful heart into the week and make it a daily thing in our life where it actually impacts our relationships and our decision-making and wherever we go. Every one of us needs to live a life of worship. But the second thing that I think every one of us needs to do in our faith walk is to connect with others in community. We need to connect with others in community. The way we like to say it around here at Calvary is that spiritual growth best happens in a small group. Spiritual growth best happens in a small group. You were created for community. And it's evident all throughout the Bible. God made our hearts crave connection with others and to have community with others. Every one of us longs to be known and to know others. Every one of us longs to be loved and to love others. Every one of us longs to serve and to serve others. And every one of us longs to be celebrated as well as to celebrate others. And so kind of a deep thought that I want you to consider is this. You are not going to be fully whole in Christ until you experience community on a consistent basis. According to a recent study, our circle of friends as a people is getting smaller and smaller over time. Over the past 20 years, the number of people that we can discuss important matters with has decreased nearly a third. It used to be a person would have on average three of those friendships. But today, the average is less than two. And the number of people in the survey who said they had no one to talk to about important matters has nearly doubled to 25%. In 2012, the New York Times had an article that added that this scarcity of close friendships has especially impacted midlifers. They said during midlife, it's harder to meet the three key conditions that are needed to make new friends. Those conditions are proximity, repeated connection, and a setting that encourages people to let their guard down and to confide in each other. And so the article went on to say this. It said, in your 30s and 40s, plenty of new people enter your life through work, children's playdates, and of course, Facebook. But actual close friends, the kind you make in college, the kind you call in a crisis, 
Those are in shorter and shorter supply. As people approach midlife, the days of youthful exploration, when life feels like one big blind date, are fading away. Because our schedules compress, priorities change, people often become pickier in what they want out of their friends, and no matter how many friends you make, a sense of fatalism can creep in. And the period for making BFFs, best friends forever, gives way to having more KOFs, which is kind of friends for now. Now, this is a problem, and we see it all over, that people are having a harder and harder time connecting and finding community. But even Jesus himself modeled for us a need for community and close friendships. One of the very first things that he did when he started his public ministry is to find 12 friends to share life with. Of course, we call them the disciples. Now, you may or may not know that Jesus oftentimes had dozens and dozens of other people that followed him everywhere he went. He had a crowd everywhere he went. But he still found the need to have 12 closer friends that he would do ministry with and he would share life with. But not only that, he had three out of the 12 that he had an even closer connection to. Three who he would confide in when things got hard, when he was struggling, when he was stressed. Three that became his very best friends. And then when Jesus sent his disciples out to go and share the gospel, he never, ever sent them alone. He always sent them out to by two. You see, we aren't meant to do life alone. And we're not meant to follow Jesus alone or to try to grow in our faith alone. I mean, think for a moment even, how did Jesus teach us to pray? When he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he said, say our Father, not my Father. Again, it implies connection and community as we grow in our relationship with God. Now, there are passages all throughout the book of Acts that talk about the amazing growth of the early church. And it's believed by historians that in the very first 25 years of the early church, it grew from about 120 people to 50,000 people. Can you imagine that kind of growth? I mean, what would they even do? Where would they meet? I mean, they didn't have a local megachurch where they could all go pack into. How in the world could 50,000 people continue to be the church together? Well, the answer is small groups. Acts 5.42 tells us that day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. See, the temple courts are kind of like our atrium or our gathering area. They would find time to meet together there, but then they would also meet in homes. And it says they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. In the early church, small groups were the base of all ministry and fellowship. And so here's the way that I think we need to think about this. Life change best happens in circles and not rows. 
Life change best happens in circles and not rows. You see, circles, when we come together with others around a table or in a living room, it's then that we can build relationships more effectively. We can ask questions like, what in the world was that guy up front actually talking about this week? Or even saying, I'm not sure I agree with what he said this week. It's where we can share our struggles. It's where we can be vulnerable with each other. It's where we can find accountability and encouragement and friendship. You see, we want to see a movement here at Calvary of people getting out of rows and into circles. Now, don't get me wrong. Rows are great. We are glad that you are sitting in a row right now. Rows are the best way for us to come together as a larger church family, for us to hear God's word applied to our lives, to spend time singing praises to God, to share stories and testimonies, to cast vision, and to mobilize our church on a larger scale. But rows make it hard to get to know people well. Rows make it hard to have a conversation. And that's why we need circles. And so we believe, just like the early church, that life change and spiritual growth best happens in circles. Circles are smaller groups of people who allow us to do life together and to grow in community with each other and to find that sense of belonging that God has placed in every one of our hearts. My dream is that every single person who comes through the doors of this church would move out of a row and get connected into a circle as we move together in our relationship with Christ. And so with the rest of our time together, I wanna share four reasons why I believe you should sign up for a small group tonight. And not just that, I'm gonna address, I think, the four most common objections that you might have to signing up for a small group. So the first reason why, we were made for community. Remember, the Bible specifically tells us that we were created in the image of God. And at the very core of who God is, is a relationship. Remember, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is really the essence of a perfect relationship. Three persons in one, perfectly relating to each other in perfect community. They model this perfect connection that every one of us is wired up with. You see, we are hardwired by a relational God to be relational people. In Genesis 2.18, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. If you've read through Genesis before, you know leading up to that, everything God sees and talks about is good. This is the first thing that's not good. It's not good for us to be alone. In order to experience the life that God intends for us, we need others. We need to be connected. We need to have relationships. And until we find that kind of connection, that God intends for us, we're going to experience emptiness and even incompleteness. You and I were made for community. 
Number two, we are better together. This is something we believe wholeheartedly as a church. The sum of all of us together is better than each one of us individually. We are better together in almost every single way possible. There's this passage in the book of Ecclesiastes that says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You see, each one of us brings our unique gifts and talents and strengths and experiences. And when they all come together, it makes all of us better. You know, if I was in charge of cooking the Thursday meal, it would be a disaster. You know, if I was in charge of fixing broken things around the church, it would even be a bigger disaster. And in the same way, maybe some of you are thinking, I would never want to be up front talking like I'm doing right now. See, each one of us needs to use our unique gifts and talents to make the whole better. We become the best version of ourselves when we come together in community. It's then that we can encourage, we can love on each other, we can support each other. When we get connected in a group, you'll become better as well as others will become better. We are better together. Number three, we can't grow in isolation. As we keep saying in this series, following Jesus is a growing experience, and we need others in order to grow. I mean, think about anything in our world that grows, from humans to animals to plants to fruits to vegetables, and the list goes on. Nothing can grow independently of anything else. I mean, think about it. Children need food and water and rest and protection in order to grow. Animals need the same things. Plants need soil and water and sunlight and oxygen. It's impossible to grow independently of everything else. And so you will never grow to your full potential in isolation. As believers, we need other believers in order to grow. We need people who will hold us accountable when we're struggling. We need people who will encourage us when we feel like giving up and quitting. We need people who will pray for us when we're in need. You'll never reach your full potential in Christ in isolation. Now, I believe that's true for us as individuals, but it's also true for those of us who are married. Our marriage will never reach its full potential without the help of others surrounding us and encouraging us and praying for us. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Such a great phrase. Spur one another on. Who is doing that in your life? And who are you doing that for? We need to spur each, each other on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. 
I mean, there's so many other things that compete for our time and attention. There's so many excuses that we can have not to sign up for a group. Don't give up meeting together, as so many people are in the habit of doing. But instead, encourage one another. You know, in my years of ministry, the people I have seen grow the most are those who have been committed to a small group. In fact, when I think back of the stories that come into my mind of people that I've gotten to know at various churches, I really don't know of any lasting impact or change in a person's life that has happened independently of others. We can't grow in isolation. Number four, we need each other. Did you know 58 times in the New Testament, we are told to one another, one another. For instance, John 13, 34 says, love one another. We're also told to care for one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, share with one another, greet one another. And it goes on and on 58 times. Here's the thing, church. You can't one another by yourself. It's not possible. You can't fulfill these commandments, these things that we're told to do on your own. You need others. You need a small group. But also consider that a small group needs you. You might be uniquely wired up to make a difference in someone's life like no one else can. And that's why God brings us together in this mysterious concoction of people called the church. If you don't get connected into a community, you might be holding someone else back from growing into the very best version of them. See, people need you. But also, there are those times that we desperately need others. Difficult things happen in this life, don't they? It's just the reality of living in this broken world. And no one wants to face those difficult times alone. Who's going to be by your side when you're going through the valley, when things seem to be falling apart? When I was in chaplaincy training in seminary, we had to be on call at a hospital for when tragedies and deaths would occur and they needed some spiritual support. So I remember one particular week, it was the most difficult during my time of training because two different early 40-year-old men died of heart attacks on different days. And so I got the, the buzzer on my pager to come into the hospital and I met up with the doctor and we went into the side room where we were gonna share with the family that their husband, their father had passed away. And I remember the first time we did this, it was a 42-year-old man who had collapsed in the shower in the morning, getting ready to go to work. And so we came into this room and the doctor shared the news and the widow fell apart. And she just started to say again and again, I have no idea what to do. I don't know what to do. She said, I have no one to call. She said, we moved here about a year ago and we're not connected to anyone. I don't know who to call. We don't have any family within driving distance. And it was just a tragic, heartbreaking moment. 
Well, just a couple days later, another man, I think he was around 45 years old, died in a very similar way. He was taken by ambulance, and by the time they got to the hospital, he was dead. So I got called in again, and we went into the same room, and we told the family the terrible news. But there was something different because the room was packed full of people. You see, their small group was there to support them. Probably 20 people all gathered into this room. Now, it didn't make the news any easier. But the whole atmosphere of the room was different. Because there was community. There was connection. There were people there to help lift them up and give them hope. We all need people like that in our life. We need people who will walk with us through the ups and the downs. So I've made my case for community, but I think some of you might still have some objections. So I'm gonna try to address some of the most common objections to joining a small group that are out there. Number one, usually the most common objection, it takes too much time. Building new relationships, we all know, takes time and effort. You might be looking at your calendar or thinking about your calendar and wondering, where in the world could I even fit this in? But you know what? This is an investment into your own spiritual life and really into your relationship with God. It's another way to show God that he is a priority in your life. To say, I'm going to make the time for you, God to do what you're calling me to do. Number two, maybe you're scared to be known. I mean, if the people knew the real you, they would turn and run. I mean, it's scary to open up to others, people that we don't know well. But you know what? That's where grace comes in. And when we choose to be vulnerable to others, well, then it gives them space and permission to be vulnerable back. And when we open ourselves up like that together, then God is able to work and do miraculous things. How about number three? You're doing all right. You've got enough relationships. You feel like you're growing in faith enough. Well, first off, I don't actually believe that. Secondly, others still need you. I mean, you might think, I've got my spiritual act together. Well, then you need to invest in others. Maybe what you need to do is take out your New Testament and read through the 58 one another's. One another, one another. We need to connect with others in community. Even if we feel like we've got it all together, we can help others in their spiritual journey. Well, how about number four? You'd rather watch Netflix. Instead of working on building relationships, I mean, that's just hard and it's messy. I mean, isn't it way easier and more entertaining and you can hit fast forward or pause when you're watching Netflix? Getting involved in other people's lives is always difficult. It's always messy. I love the author John Steinbeck once said he was lonely because he liked people in his mind better than in person. And maybe you can relate to that. But you have to remember, God has wired us up to need community and to need connection. But I, want, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to take a look at one of the groups who's been meeting faithfully here at Calvary this last season. Take a look at this video. 
Basically, I joined because I felt like this tug to join a group, and I have wanted to for a long time, but I've been really shy about doing that. And it seemed like Pastor Zach really wanted everyone to do that. And so Matthew and I had that same feeling, and we decided to just jump in. The fellowship in, okay. in a big church, sometimes you can get lost. So it was always nice to be in a small group to see people that you recognized and, and knew. Uh, I think the, the great thing is, is to really feel like you're being part of uh, worship, whereas opposed to church, you're, it's a little more general where uh, in a small group you're getting into the details and you're finding a kinship with people who are trying to dissect and find the same meaning that you are. My biggest apprehension of joining a small group was time, thinking there's a huge time commitment. I was concerned about, I was busy with work and family and, and, and I, I just didn't know. And I found a small group that was willing to meet when my son was at Wednesday Night Live, and it just—it was just a natural progression. I think first joining a small group, it was—it was very non-threatening, and we didn't have to. There were people that talked a lot, people that didn't talk, and that was fine in every way. And so gradually, as you get more comfortable, you can take part as much as you want, otherwise just being there and listening is a great experience as well. So we're starting a new series in two weeks that we're really excited about. It's called Benefit of the Doubt. And so in this series, there's going to be a small group component and a sermon component. And so we'd invite you to come on Thursday night or on Sunday morning, hear the message, and then join together in a small group to discuss what you're learning or what you're hearing or the questions that you might have. You see, every one of us, I think, has questions and every one of us has doubts. But the problem is we often are afraid of what people might think about us if we express those things. You know, people might question our faith or they might look down on us or they might judge us or they might think less of us. Maybe everybody else seems like they have it together. But what if doubt is actually a key component of faith? That's what this series is about. Now this fall sermon and small group series is eight weeks long. So you're not signing up for life, it's just eight weeks. You can do anything for eight weeks. And so what I wanna invite you to do is to go into your bulletin and there's a card. It looks like this, it's called a small group interest card. And I wanna invite you right now to not wait, to not think about it any longer, but to just fill it out. Just put down your name, your information, and then check the days and the times that work for you and we'll be in touch. If you'd rather, you can also text the word small groups without a space to 94090. And there's an electronic form you can fill out. But you were created for community. Not only that, you need community. And others need you. So get in a circle and join a group and then see what God will do in your life. 
Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are a relational God, that you don't just sit up in the clouds somewhere, that you're not off and distant just observing us, but instead you want to be in a, a living relationship with us. You model a relationship within yourself and the Trinity. And then you've wired us up to crave that kind of connection, that kind of relationship with each other. God, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you're calling us to do. Maybe for some, this is a a very scary step. Maybe they're thinking of all the reasons that they shouldn't do this. God, I ask that you would break through that and that you would make it clear that this is the next step that you desire from them. God, I pray for our church that we would be not just a church that shows up for an hour a week, that we wouldn't just be a church that is content to come and sit in rows, but instead we would be a church that gets together in circles and builds relationships and encourages each other and motivates each other, spurs each other on, and then goes out and serves others in your name. God, we want to grow like you intend us to grow. And so help us to get in circles so that we can experience the life change that you desire for us. And so God, we pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said,